This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam, And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. Later on in the show, we're going to be looking at an interview you did with uh, Faisal Salah, who's the founder of the Palestine Museum. He's going to be talking about his show from Palestine with Art. It's going to be part of the 59th International Art Exhibition, the Biennale from Venezia, from Venice. It's a great interview, and I'm really glad that uh, we're going to be able to speak with Faisal. But before we get there, there's a lot of news going on, Jamal, that we're going to have to cover, including the so-called Negev Summit, uh, in which four so-called Arab (laughs) foreign ministers are meeting with the Israeli foreign minister in the Negev to talk about the peace. It's a very interesting collection from Bahrain, from UAE, from Egypt and Morocco, and the way the Hasbaristas are pitching it together with American Hasbaristas is very interesting. We'll be covering that. We'll be talking a little bit about uh, what Michael Link said, who is the UN Special Rapporteur, who basically said Israel is an apartheid state in the occupied territories. And then finally, Jamal, we're going to be covering the situation in the in Ukraine and, and the war and occupation there. Uh, it's just devastating. And unfortunately, many of our predictions have proven to be accurate, and it's it's quite devastating. But let's start with the, ne- the, the Negev summit, which when I saw it, Jamal... I call, I re- it, I call it the normalization summit. But The um, normalization, that's a nice way of putting it. But when I saw the headlines, you know, this big breakthrough of... Arabs and Israelis coming together to come together and celebrate a a new beginning and to talk about peace. I thought, wow, the Arab League is is coming. But it's really not that many people, Jamal. It's a handful of despotic, uh, I mean, foreign ministers from despotic countries, Bahrain, UAE, Morocco. Well, we have a king in Morocco. He sent his foreign minister and of course, the foreign minister from Egypt. It's a bit of a joke. The timing for me is very interesting. It's occurring at a time when Russia is basically destroying, you know, Ukraine and 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 occupying it. And uh, Antony Blinken is also going to be there. But this patina of this celebratory Negev uh, summit. What's the reality? What's the what's really going on, Jamal? Well, you said two key words, I think, which are very important. Just one, the timing, and we'll talk about the timing. And then the other one, the other one is how it's been uh, described. Okay, so so this, uh, you know, just to summarize, you got the foreign ministers, top diplomats, uh, you know, of the United States, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State. Four Arab countries convening in the Naqab Desert, otherwise known as the Negev Desert, uh, today on Monday and tomorrow. It's a, it's a two-day uh, summit, and the description is: they say uh, it's a display of unity against Iran, but also a, uh, a summit to revive long-stalled peace making with the Palestinians. So with all of a no sudden, pal- I mean, with we, no Palestinians. We're, we're, we're at, at the edge of a World War III between Russia and Ukraine, and now 
we're talking about Iran all of a sudden. That's one. And two, you have a summit, as you've said, a summit without Palestinians, you of know, course. with 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 countries, with the exception of Egypt. Egypt is the only country that shares a border with uh, historic Palestine. You got countries like Morocco and the UAE at both ends of 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 the Arab world, which have really no no impact on what's what goes on in in Palestine. So, so that's to me, the description is really kind of mind boggling. And then the other part, we talk about the timing. The timing, okay, this comes, we've been talking about this this just for the past several weeks. Every single credible human rights organization has classified Israel as an apartheid state. And now you have the rapporteur, the United Nations rapporteur, also saying, hey, and he, he goes on through a whole report. I mean, that's his job right. to study right. research and report on something. And he talks about apartheid. So when you find Israel's back to the wall, when it's kind of on the international arena has been uh, identified as an apartheid state, and we'll go through his report uh, later on. And then you have these uh, jokers, and, uh, and that's the most the pol most polite word I can use on this show, showing up at this time to defend the apartheid regime. That's one. Two. Think about. Also, we talked about the timing, but we we didn't mention the place. Where is this happening? It's happening in the Nakab right. Desert, where we've reported on this very show about the ethnic cleansing of Bedouins. I mean, this has been going on for the past several months. Stories that has been reported, that That's have right. been reported in the Israeli media. I'm not talking about, I mean, about the ethnic cleansing of Bedouins, the destruction of their homes, etc. It's a major story within Israel itself, because remember, the Bedouins who live in the Naqab are Israeli citizens. You know, they, they classify, right. classify them as right. Arab, Arab Israeli citizens. And and again, you know, it's also happening, by the way, uh, where uh, the founder of Israel, Ben Gurion, is buried. You know, that's that's another. I mean, it's a lot of symbolism going there to but, to produce this photo up, you know, of of harmony and peace and collaboration, and then divert the Arab world's attention towards Iran as the enemy not Israel as the occupier, the apartheid regime, and the only country to have introduced nuclear weapons to the Middle East. Well, well said, Jamal. The other irony is that this is to confront Iran, but it's happening at a time when the United States is actively negotiating the nuclear peace agreement with the Iranians right now. So we, we see this kind of, uh, this kind of double screen, dual screen hypocrisy of the of the way it's being pitched in the American and Israeli media, and in some cases, the international media, and the reality on the ground, which is that this is a, what I would call it is a summit of fools, because this does not represent the Arab world. The main stakeholder, Palestinians, are not at the table. It's occurring at this kind of really intense time when we're really on the verge of, you know, economic uh, kind of devastation, not just for uh, Russians, but, you know, for the whole globalized world. And yet it's being pitched as this large summit. I, I kind of know, and you and I kind of know what happened. The 
the uh, uh, American administration gave marching orders to the Bahrainis, to the UAE, to the Egyptians, and to the King of Morocco and said, you'd better show up. So they were told to show up, they showed up, they became part of this package. But what I would say, it's equally important who's not there. The Saudis are not there. The Qataris are not there. The you know, the rest of the, you know, 16 uh, countries of the Arab League are not there. No, no significant Arab country foreign ministers are there. And of course, as we've been saying on multiple occasions, Palestinians are there. And I know uh, I wouldn't want Bahrainis, uh, Emiratis, uh, Moroccans, or even Egyptians advocating for me uh, in terms of peace in the region. So, I think your analysis uh, speaks volumes, Jamal, and really what this is about is because the apartheid state of Israel has its back against the wall. It's housing uh, displaced Russian oligarchs, you know, who have been, you know, basically put on notice. We know that the uh, apartheid regime is housing these people who the United States has put on a, you know, banned list in terms of their economic assets, yet they have become Israeli citizens or because they're Israeli citizens that are now free to come and evade the economic sanctions that the United States has put on them. And of course, you know, as you began with, you know, the world condemnation from all these human rights organizations condemning Israel's apartheid practices against Palestine, it's, it's embarrassing. So really what this is about, Jamal, it's about the headline. It's not about reality. It's beyond embarrassing, Jess. I mean, uh, here you have, uh, again, an apartheid state, and then you have Arab representatives whitewashing its crimes. That's It's as simple as this. I mean, the timing could not have been any worse. The venue is horrible because this is where it's ethnic terrible. cleansing is happening on a daily basis. Uh, exactly. To, to, you know, and 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 then there is no need for it. I mean, what peace are they talking about? What peacemaking? It's a peacemaking. I mean, who assigned Bahrain, as you've said, who assigned the UAE to speak on behalf of the Palestinians to discuss peace when there is no peace, when Palestinian homes are being destroyed on a daily basis, when the ethnic cleansing continues in Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan and other places? You know, I mean, what peace are they talking about? I mean, who are they kidding? It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, photo op. I, uh, yeah, I, I would say I would say it's a photo op, but it's also um, an, an attempt to change the the Israeli uh, international narrative right now. They're doing so many dirty deals. They're the ones telling Zelensky to cut a deal with Russia, and it looks like Zelensky is going to do that. We we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Housing of the oligarchs, which have supported uh, Vladimir Putin for decades. Uh, and of course, the the apartheid uh, label that is sticking very strongly with uh, with Israel. I mean, it's an apartheid state uh, through and through, and that that's not going away, Jamal. So, what is the standard Hasbarista thing to do? Ch try to change the narrative. But I, I'll also say this idea about you remember you know, we used to use this, and I I'm going to go back to this terminology. We used to use it at 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 the show before and people say oh you know why are you being so harsh house arabs house that's arabs all. that's well, that's, that's, that's too nice it's, it's a photo up with house arabs 
and I, and I that's all that's nice. all I can say about it. But anyway, talking about uh, Israel apartheid, and uh, we're moving on to the next story, which is basically the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights just says Israel's occupation of Palestinian territory is apartheid. And uh, he calling on the international community to accept and adopt the recent findings in his report. Uh, uh, on last Friday, he said that apartheid is being practiced by Israel in the occupied Palestinian territory. He goes on to say there is today in the Palestinian territory occupied by Israel since 1967 a deeply discriminatory dual legal and political system that privileges the 700,000 Israeli Jewish settlers living in the 300 illegal Israeli settlements in East Jerusalem and the West Bank. And this is Michael Link, the UN Special Rapporteur for the situation of human rights in the Palestinian territory occupied since 1967. Now he didn't, that was, that's not his job. His job, he wasn't assigned to what we right. call 1948 or historic Palestine. Right. It's right. just his focus. But even with this, you know, because, you know, there are reports that say the entire right. country between, you know, meaning the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River is a, as a, really one big apartheid state. And he, he focused basically on the territory occupied by Israel in 1967. So, so it's a very uh, detailed extensive report, yet another uh, nail in the coffin labeling Israel an apartheid state, Jamal. But let me let me just say, did, did, did you or did anybody see any headline about his report anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in the media? Nowhere. Maybe, did you hear that? Maybe Reuters, again, wire services like Reuters, AP, put it out there but uh, as you know uh, especially you know uh, mainstream media and and networks and tv networks they're now just focused except for the past 24 hours on the oscars and <laughs> this the slapping that happened uh, the slap heard the, around the world yes. yes but it's been about ukraine and and russia so the so again the timing that's why Israel, but that, but 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 they, what they have been reporting on, they've been skipping through this and then just showing the photo up of uh, you know the Arab foreign ministers and Israeli foreign ministers and Blinken holding hands and singing "Kumbaya." Well, Jamal, here's the thing, though. I mean, the thing that's kind of ironic for me, you know, given the kind of uh, uh, apartheid practice. Uh, that Israel engages in in historic Palestine, not to mention the war crimes that the Israeli military committed in Gaza, 2009, 2012, 2014. And by the way, the number of Palestinians killed over the course of that month is even greater than the number of Ukrainians that have been killed so far after a month of barrage from the uh, Russian military. It just is beyond the pale for me to see the countries that are the so-called Arab countries who themselves have grotesque human rights uh, records themselves. Bahrain is widely known to not just stifle uh, free speech and any kind of opposition to the, you know, to the royal family there, but they use torture, they imprison people, and they squash any 
uh, attempt to they, criticize. They, they target the CI mainly. They they target them. And listen, the the, the same for the uh, for Morocco, the same for Egypt and the UAE. Oh my God, they're supplying all the weapons that uh, not all, but many of the weapons that are that are engaged in destroying Yemen right now. And you know, again, another thing that not get doesn't get a lot of play. You know, the Yemenis that are captured, you know, they're uh, many of them are brought to the UAE and tortured mercilessly uh, by uh, you know the Emirati security services. So I'm just saying, Jamal, like this this is a who's who list of thugs. It's a who's who list of war criminals. It's a who's who list of people who don't believe in democracy and the rule of law. So it's, you know, it's kind of ironic that uh, this is the show of Arab unity. So going back to the rapporteur, uh, like I said, his report was very extensive. And actually what I didn't talk about is he also talked about Gaza. And he reiterated that it is an open air prison. Yes. mentioning the lack of rights of people living in the same vicinity by separated by wall checkpoints etc and he goes another two million palestinians live in gaza described regularly as an open-air prison without adequate access to power water or health with a collapsing economy and with no ability to freely travel to the rest of palestine or the outside world he ran through uh, the internationally understood legal definition of apartheid, just a system of institutionalized racial segregation practiced in South Africa prior to its death dismantling in the early uh, 1990s. And, and he said, this is uh, a quote from him, apartheid is not, sadly, a, fem- a phenomenon confined to the history books on Southern Africa. It's, wow. And then, and then he, then this is, and then he goes on to the apartheid in 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 Palestine and talks about what defines a, you know, apartheid. He goes on political, it's it's a political regime talking about Israel, which so intentionally and clearly prioritizes fundamental political, legal, and social rights to one group over another within the same geographic unit on the basis of one's racial, national, ethnic identity. I mean, I don't know what else. The report there, he talks about the 1998 Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, you know, discusses that again, goes back discussing it when, uh, you know, talking about the law that came into place after the collapse of uh, the old South Africa regime. And then he starts talking about Israel's implementation of apartheid in in, in the uh, Territories so, it occupied in so my question, my question, Jamal, for you and for the world is, what more evidence does the world want? What more evidence does Antony Blinken want? What more evidence do do the does the Security Council and the General Assembly at the United Nations want? What more do people want when the entirety of the human rights world and the United Nations Special Rapporteur? all unanimously agree that Israel is a pra- is a practicing apartheid state and yet they get a free pass and yet they're celebrated for doing this peace negotiation with people who they're occupying who are not even at the table it's 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 a level of disgust that i think all of us feel right now that 
not just the timing, but the hypocrisy of it all is just mind-blowing to me. It's like, okay, world, when are you going to wake up to this? And, you know, I I, I want to go back to Gaza, Jamal. I mean, it's it's not lost on many of us about the images that were, because this will transition to Ukraine here in a minute. It's not lost on many of us, the images of Mariupol and Kharkiv that are completely devastated remind many of us about what happened in Gaza in 2009, 12, and 2014, the devastation that was brought to Gaza, the buildings that were destroyed, the infrastructure that was destroyed, the men, the women, the children that were killed. Uh, But here's the difference, Jamal. Ukrainians can leave, and Palestinians living in Gaza never could. So... uh, you know, well, I, I mean, the more I would, I would say in the difference that Ukrainians can leave and they are received with open arms in Poland and, and other places and provided with food and shelter, etc. Ukrainians also are given weapons to defend themselves and are celebrated for defending themselves against occupation, whereas we, we know the narrative about Palestinians are not allowed to defend themselves. And, you know, for me, tragically, you know, you and I have been there. I've worked there. I've done, you know, uh, public health and global health work in Gaza. I saw the devastation firsthand. And that I could tell you that, you know, as you said, Ukrainians are welcomed with open arms and Palestinians in Gaza who are devastated, killed, injured, with infrastructure uh, destroyed, continue to be ignored by this world, Jamal. And not just Palestinians, sadly, but, you know, we we talked about this last week. Poland is being celebrated from wel- for welcoming all of these uh, Ukrainian refugees, but it was Poland and many of the surrounding NATO countries who blocked Syrian refugees and made them live in tents, many of whom, you know, perished from waiting and were not allowed to, to become you know, who who were not allowed to be welcomed with open arms and, and given comfort. So, you know, the the differences, the the racism and the racial differences between good refugees, bad refugees, legal refugees, illegal refugees is just it's just staggering. I to was me. gonna say the difference is blue eyes and blonde hair. Full stop, man. Full stop. Blue hair and blonde eyes. Well, but well on this we... topic, just two important things happened. I want to kind of touch on these uh, since we're talking about the Ukraine and Russia because we've been reporting on it every week. Uh, first one to me was like President Joe Biden last Saturday said that Russian leader Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power, uh, basically right. ratcheting up international right. pressure and further united nato allies against putin over the invasion i mean uh, <laughs> what do you i mean i don't know i mean well, a lot they of walked people it were back. stunned you know? yeah but he walked it they walked it back yeah but, but you then, know the united but states he dealt, but he did double down on it today jamal because i will say that president biden was asked today what did he did he does he stand by his comment and basically what he said is that yeah I stand by my comment. We, we don't believe in regime change. We're just saying Putin can't remain in power. What's over... that? What's that? That's not regime change. I, I, I mean, I think you know they're 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 saying it and walking it back at the same time. So they're getting away with it, yet trying to walk it back. It's a very bold statement. Unfortunately, Jamal, as I've been saying, as we've been saying. If you think that's going to put any kind of pressure on Vladimir Putin, you're completely wrong. He's going to not 
Putin is not only going to double down, he's going to triple down. And despite everything that has been said about, oh, well, he's scaling back, the Ukrainians are fighting off in in Kiev and all of this, the the kind of horrible reporting still that we're seeing, uh, Ukraine is being devastated. You have 4 million refugees now. You have Mariupol, which is completely devastated. You have Russia now in complete control of the eastern side of Ukraine and, you know, not only controlling the, the corridor with the dis, quote, disputed regions, but from Mariupol all the way up to the Donbass region in the eastern part of Ukraine is under Russian control. And Kiev is getting bombed. Mariupol is, is devastated. And whatever kind of celebration that you're hearing about how great the Ukrainian army is, and they're very brave, don't get me wrong, Russia is laying waste to Ukraine right now, Jamal. And as we speak, as we speak, they're, the, the, they're, they're talking about peace. And the big news for me, Jamal, Zelensky is willing to talk about caving well, in. That's, that's, is- actually, uh, that's actually the second uh, change that I see, major change besides Biden's statement and visit to Poland is Zelensky uh, saying yes. that his government is prepared to discuss adopting and this time he's been he has has been specific adopting a neutral status as part of a peace deal with russia and this is an inter in in an interview with independent russian journalist vladimir zelensky said that uh, such deal would have to put to be put to a referendum in the ukraine he made these comments before but this time he said it uh, very forcefully uh, and uh, I think this is a quote here, security guarantees and nu- neutrality, non-nuclear, he talks non-nuclear status of our state. We are ready to go for it. This is the most important point. This is in a 90-minute uh, video video call he, he had. Yeah, but, but here's the thing, Jamal. Uh, Putin is going to see that as weakness, yeah, but, Putin, but, but I'm just saying just uh, I don't have seen it change. as a weakness because Zelensky could have made this statement in a month ago in February, like around Feb- mid-February, and Two we wouldn't ago. have had all this destruction. Well, as death. we've been saying for weeks, Jamal, the West and NATO threw Zelensky and the Ukrainians under the bus. They they gave them all this uh, verbal support that they would help them. They threw them under the bus. Ukraine is destroyed right now. And uh, Zelensky could talk all he want about, uh, you know, becoming neutral. But the Donbass region, uh, Odessa, Mariupol, that whole eastern side, you know, all in, including, you know, all the coastal areas uh, going down to Crimea, it's Putin is never going to give that up. It's just not so you don't he, so you don't think the statement or sitting down and talking about neutrality and again neutrality means that a country does not ally itself militarily with others, kind of like Switzerland. You cannot be Switzerland cannot be part of NATO. So right. you are saying that this is not going to satisfy Putin. No, because Putin is going to destroy further Ukraine. He's going to, there's all these ideas that maybe he'll divide it like, uh, like an armistice between, you know, that we have between North and South Korea that now Ukraine will be divided. But uh, I just have news for every, anybody who's listening, Putin is not going to stop. In fact, today, the breaking news that we should tell our, our viewers and our listeners 
is that it looks like Putin has uh, attempted to poison the delegate, the Ukrainian peace delegation in Turkey right now. There's reports that, that some of them have been poisoned. And Abramovich, the, the Russian-Israeli oligarch that is on the uh, list of economically banned people, he looks like, and this is initial reporting by the Wall Street Journal, that he too may have been poisoned by but Russian he, that, but operatives. He, but it's in the Ukraine. He's, he's, he, they're saying that this was this happened like a month ago during his visit to Ukraine, but, to, but, to Kiev. But it's kind of a big deal, though, that that the that there was the attempt to poison the the peace negotiators and Abramovich. So if anybody believes that Putin is going to stop anything, I believe they're delusional. He's going to take the whole eastern side. He's going to drag on the negotiations. He's as long as possible. He's going to squeeze you uh, Ukrainians. There's also reports that some Ukrainians have been taken into Russia and put into camps, you know, so that, you know, that we're talking about forced population transfer, which is illegal, again, under international law. So uh, I, I don't know about you, Jamal, but Putin doesn't look sound or walk or talk like a person who's really afraid of economic sanctions right now or is changing anything. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about this again next week, like we've been doing it for the past four weeks. Uh, uh, just it doesn't seem that this is going to come to a Change. quick uh, resolution anytime soon. So we had a great interview, uh, Jess, yeah. and this is actually a major achievement for the Palestine Museum in uh, Woodbridge, Connecticut. Uh, we've had the founder before on our show to talk about the museum itself and its own shows etc but now they they were able to pull a very important uh, feat i would say and it's another achievement and another benchmark uh, that's going to happen uh, in april april 23rd when a collateral event entitled from palestine with art opens uh, as an official part of the 59th international art exhibition La Biennale di Venezia in, in Venice, Italy. Isn't this exciting? I would say it's a major, major accomplishment. And, and, and Faisal Salah needs to be celebrated. It's a great interview, Jamal. I think let's take a look at it and listen to what you and Faisal uh, spoke about. The Palestine Museum in Woodbridge, Connecticut is the only museum in the Western Hemisphere dedicated to showcasing art of all genres by Palestinian artists. It was founded in 2018 by our guest Faisal Saleh. The museum's mission is celebrating and showcasing Palestinian artist, artistic excellence and telling the Palestinian story to a global audience through the arts. Since the museum opened, public interest and the number of visitors has far exceeded Saleh's expectations, with visitors coming from as far as 30 countries throughout the world. The Palestine Museum is achieving another benchmark this April 23rd, when a collateral event entitled From Palestine with Art opens as an official part of the 59th International Art Exhibition, La Biennale, 
the Venetia in Venice, Italy. Welcome back to Arab Talk, Faisal. Thank you. So let's start. Tell us about this, uh, the, the Venice Binali. Why is it so significant that Palestinian artists have a presence there? Uh, the Venice Binali is the most prestigious art event in the world. Uh, it's, it, if you participate uh, in the Venice Binali, it's like being on the Olympics team or being nominated to an Oscar. Uh, it's such uh, an important art event uh, that gathers the who's who in the art world. Uh, first of all, uh, the event uh, is seven months long from April 23rd through November 27th. And uh, approximately 600,000 people visit the, the, the Binali during those seven months. So it's a huge audience. Uh, during the first three days that precedes the Binali, uh, 25,000 uh, art critics, uh, art collectors, and members of the press uh, visit during the three-day preview uh, period. Uh, and that's the most concentration of, of art, uh, art aficionados uh, in the world. Uh, so that's, that's what's important about the, the Binali. Uh, the second important thing is for Palestine to be represented at this level, by this level mean by an institution such as the Palestine Museum US uh, is a first time. Now there've been other participations uh, by Palestinians in the Binali and they consisted often of either individual participation of artists, uh, two artists uh, making one exhibit, three artists, and uh, there's been as many as seven artists making a presentation, but it's never been uh, an institutional uh, uh, participation at the at the museum level like we are uh, with 19 artists and over 30 works of art. So, so this is really a major breakthrough. Uh, I mean, uh, what do you want visitors uh, from uh, to to from Palestine with art to take away uh, from the exhibit? Uh, what do you hope to achieve? Well, we hope to achieve a few things, uh, depending on who the visitors are. So let's take uh, visitors who are Palestinian or who are supporters of the Palestinians from other Arab countries. Uh, first of all, we, we are hoping to strengthen the Palestinian identity by creating this show on top of the art, uh, the art world. Uh, so we want Palestinians to feel, to feel very proud that they are standing shoulder to shoulder with uh, exhibitions from 80 other countries around the world and uh, 215 other artists uh, handpicked uh, by the curator of the Binali to participate. Uh, now, Palestine uh, is not eligible to participate as a country. So we cannot have a pavilion, we cannot have a national presentations. So the collateral event is the only avenue open for us to participate at a high level. And that's why we applied for the collateral event uh, and among all the applications, uh, we were selected along with 29 other collateral events. So we're one. What, what's, the, what's, the, just, uh, what's the reason uh, that uh, Palestine cannot participate uh, in, it, as a country? It's very simple. Uh, there's a rule that says only countries that are recognized by Italy mm. can participate in the Binali. And unfortunately, Italy does not recognize Palestine as a state. 
Uh, and there have been a lot of noise about that. Uh, but that's the, you know, that's the fact of life that we have to deal with. And we were able to get around that by uh, getting selected as a, a, what they call a collateral event. And a collateral event is a significant exhibition that the uh, curator of the uh, Binali, uh, and her, this time her name is Cecilia Almani, believes that uh, the, the collateral events will enrich the value of the exhibit and the community uh, and provide additional depth to the, to the event. And, and that's the explanation for why there are collateral events there. And we obviously uh, were quick to uh, take advantage of the opportunity. Getting accepted is not easy. It took a lot of work and several months of applications and submission of information. And we had to create an entire exhibition before we could even submit the application. Right. Was any of the artwork created with this event specifically in mind? I mean, in addition uh, to the amazing artwork, which I was able to see some pieces on uh, the published book uh, online, cultural heritage and diaspora has a significant presence in it. Was, it. was that your intention or was this a collaborative realization with the Benalis and the museum's curators? No, I, I think uh, we, uh, first of all, let me answer your, your simple question, which is, yes, there were uh, several uh, works of art that were created specifically for the Binali. The most uh, notable of them is Samia Halabi's uh, painting. That's the, the red bright painting uh, that, it, that is called Venetian Red. Uh, that was definitely created uh, for the Binali and Samia took it on her own to create some very special work for that. Um, and then, um, um, I'm sorry, I lost track of the rest of your question. <laughs> no, I was uh, just saying, uh, you know, you've you know talked about you know the, the amazing work, cultural heritage, and diaspora yes, yes, has yes. a significant presence. Yes, and now uh, we have uh, a curator at the Palestine Museum U.S. Her name is Nancy Nesbitt, and she and I uh, work hand in hand uh, together as a team on on creating this uh, exhibition, and uh, we we put our heads together. And we identified a number of things that we wanted to get across. First, uh, we don't want to be portrayed as the helpless victim uh, that uh, Palestinians often get portrayed as. We want to be, we want to show people uh, the beauty of Palestine, and we want to show them how artists, uh, Palestinian artists, paint hope and determination and faith in the future. Uh, so. We want people to see the beauty of Palestine and the determination of its people. Uh, in addition, uh, we also wanted to uh, stress that the, the Palestinian identity and the uniqueness of it and how it is uh, really supported uh, by the Palestinian uh, uh, culture. Uh, uh, so part of the, the, there are maybe 10 different elements in the exhibit uh, that is intended to achieve specific goals. And I'm just going to go through them quickly, if you permit me here. Sure. Uh, so one of those is we have uh, two uh, very important uh, Palestinian embroidered dresses uh, from the uh, uh, important collection uh, of, uh, uh, of Hanan and Farah Munayir. They have one of the largest uh, Phobes collections. So they, they pick two of the best... Uh, uh, items in their collection, and those are going to be exhibited in acrylic cases 
on the floor of the exhibit. Um, uh, and that's really uh, to uh, highlight uh, the importance uh, of the, of the uh, embroidery uh, to the Palestinian identity. Uh, second, uh, we wanted to uh, express a very strong feeling uh, about uh, Palestine and what Palestine is. So we selected the title of the uh, uh, exhibit to be From Palestine with Art. Uh, it appears as a very simple title, but when you examine the preposition from, from is used to indicate a location, a place, and a real place. Uh, so from Palestine tells people there is a Palestine and it exists and it's real and it has been and will, and will always be. Uh, and, and that's a very important uh, part of the exhibit. Now, to, to even strengthen that further, we have selected uh, um, a, a map of Palestine that goes back to 1877 uh, that was uh, prepared and published uh, by uh, the Palestinian cartographer Salman Abbasite. And that map, uh, there's a huge uh, version of it that's going to be uh, placed on the floor of the exhibit uh, hall, and people are going to be able to walk over it and go to where their towns are and look at it. Now, just, to be, just to be clear, because I've seen this map uh, in a different way by Salman Abusette, he hmm. specifically spent years documenting and, and, and putting, you know, towns and villages that have disappeared now. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I could tell you is that uh, that's the latest version of his map. And uh, the, the um, important thing uh, about this map is that it does not have a single uh, Israeli settlement. There's not a single Zionist structure on the map. And Zionism did not even exist when that map was originally created. Uh, so we are showing Palestine as Palestine uh, was uh, before uh, it was cut up and, and, and uh, crisscrossed with Israeli settlements and checkpoints and other geographical uh, obstacles that were, that, that were creating uh, to, to divide up uh, Palestinians into, into manageable small pieces that Israel could swallow and er eventually erase. Uh, so that map uh, is not just on the floor uh, of the exhibit hall, it is the cover uh, of the exhibit book. Uh, there is a book that has all the photos and, and write-ups and essays about all the artwork in the exhibit. And that book is going to be published uh, in about a couple of weeks. Uh, and the cover of the book, uh, I, I think I shared a copy with you, uh, shows uh, that map of Palestine from 1877. And again, uh, it's a historical map. Uh, it and it says Palestine on it. And uh, I know there's going to be some challenges to that from uh, the other side, uh, but this is a piece of art and it's a piece of history. And in 1877, there was no Israel and there was no Zionism and there were no settlements. And that's the map we're, we're, uh, we're showcasing at the Venice Binali. And that's the map that's going to be on the cover of the book. So that, that's really a very strong thing. Now, in addition to that, uh, we have a, a live tree that's in the center of the exhibit hall. Uh, it's about five feet high. And the live tree, which will be watered for seven months and kept alive, has keys hanging from, the, from its branches. And these keys 
are keys that the Palestinian refugees in 1948 took with them, hoping that they will come back in about three weeks or a month or so to their homes. And 73 years later, they still haven't been able to return to their homes. But those keys remain. And we are highlighting the significance of those keys and how they represent the right of return for Palestinians right on the tree in the middle of the exhibit. Um, so um, there's a lot of symbolism uh, and a lot of uh, concepts that are being exhibited there. In addition to that, we're going to have Palestinian music playing in the background. Uh, we're also going to have some uh, 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 oral histories available for people who want to listen to them by reading them from a QR code on the wall. Uh, and um, uh, a lot of uh, a variety of uh, paintings, including uh, nine uh, portraits of important Palestinians that were painted by uh, uh, a Palestinian artist um, who lives uh, in Europe. And this is gonna this is gonna go on for seven months. Do seven you have months. a do you have a role uh, other than oversight once the Binali opens? Is there an opening ceremony? Uh, well, we we intend to have a, an opening ceremony, uh, and also we are we have organized uh, because this falls during Ramadan. We have organized an iftar ceremony at the end of the first day. The first day that's open to the public is April 23rd. So that evening, we are going to have uh, uh, an iftar uh, with Palestinian food served. And after the iftar, we, we are going to have a musical event where we have some Palestinian musicians playing and singing uh, uh, songs. Um, and then we will all celebrate the, the start of, the, of that exhibit. Tell us about the venue uh, the exhibit is displayed. Uh, one can see the exhibit by going to Venice, obviously in person through, yeah. I guess, November 27th. But yeah. is there a virtual component for viewing the exhibit? Uh, not as of today, uh, because we have been busy and focusing on creating the actual exhibit and all the things that go with it. However, uh, we, we are uh, mindful of the need for that and contemplating uh, creating uh, some virtual access that will that will give people an idea of what the exhibit looks like. Um, and uh, we, but when we do that, we want to do it really in in a very creative way. Uh, something be fit uh, uh, of the uh, of the exhibit itself. Um, and we we will uh, we will have something on that uh, later on. Now the the venue is uh, is a historic building in Venice. Uh, that is managed uh, by an organization called uh, European uh, Cultural Center, uh, ECC, and it's made up of about three floors of exhibit halls that uh, people contract for them. And um, uh, we have contracted for uh, an exhibit hall that's room number eight, and the building is called Palazzo Mora. Mm -hmm. Palazzo Mora. Uh, and uh, uh, our exhibit hall is is on the uh, first level of the building, and we are the only collateral event. We're we're the only official collateral event in that entire building, and uh, because the the Venice Biennale has very strict requirements, uh, each collateral event has to be labeled uh, very clearly. So on the front of the building, it says collateral event, and it has our name and our the name of our exhibit, and each entrance to that room which has three entrances has a sign before you enter that says you are entering 
uh, a Venice Binali uh, official uh, exhibition uh, to, to make sure that the people don't confuse other exhibits thinking that they're part of the official Binali. The venue sounds lovely. Uh, one of your uh, main objectives is to help increase the value of uh, Palestinian artwork through exposure. How does value accrue to artwork for collectors? Well, uh, anytime uh, you put on an event like this with such visibility, uh, the, anything that's exhibited there is going to take on a special value of itself immediately. Uh, people are going to want to own uh, some of the pieces that appeared in this exhibit because they are pieces of history, pieces of Palestinian history. Uh, and we do have very unique uh, pieces in there, like the Nabil Anani has a a three meter wide uh, landscape of Palestine uh, that, that is uh, beautiful, attractive, uh, and really is an iconic view of what Palestine looks like. Uh, and I'm sure people who have the means are, are, would like to own that uh, because it's a unique thing. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity to have something like that. So is Samia's work, so is the work of all the other artists. So in general, the works that get exhibited in Venice uh, fetch a much higher price than if we were sold in Ramallah, for instance. Um, uh, in addition, uh, these things are going to be uh, gain exposure to all the art collectors around the world as they come to Venice and to all the big name galleries uh, that they're going to become aware. And these artists uh, that are exhibited there are going to receive a lot of attention and not just them, but all the other Palestinian artists, no matter where they are, uh, that genre of art, the Palestinian art is going to be, be, have increased interest in it because of the, the, the fact that it's being exhibited at Venice uh, in such a big way. Uh, and we, we believe that the Palestinian artists as a whole will benefit from, from this, from this opportunity. And we hope that they'll be able to sell more art uh, on the world market. So the Palestine uh, Museum has also created a beautiful book uh, that with a profile of each artist and some of their work. Uh, when will this be available Available for purchase? Okay, we're taking pre-orders right now on our website, palestinemuseum.us. Uh, people can place pre-orders. Uh, the books physically uh, will be uh, in the U.S., uh, I would say uh, in May. Uh, I'm actually right now sitting in the building uh, of a printing company in Verona, Italy, where the book is going to be printed like in a couple of days. I've been going over proofs and, and uh, looking at the images and making corrections and things like that. But the book will be printed uh, this week and it will be bound uh, next week. It's a hardcover book that's 30 centimeter by 30 centimeters. That's 12 inch by 12 inch square. Uh, and it is intended to be a, a coffee table book that has 48 pages. And each artist has two pages uh, about their work and about themselves. Uh, now, in addition, uh, the book is also available in what we call a European delivery. So somebody can, can buy it and uh, pick it up at the Venice Binali during the seven months. We will have we will stock the, our um, uh, exhibit hall with, with these books and people can pick them up. Just like we, you can buy a Mercedes and pick it up in Germany, for instance. Right. Uh, we call that a European delivery. Just a, <laughs> so it's a little joke, sorry. 
Well, it, it, it sounds great. And then people can go to your website. Can you say your website again for more information and keep, keep basically track of what's going on? Yes, uh, palestinemuseum.us. And if you want to order the book, uh, you click on shop books, uh, and then the book will, will come up and you can place an order for, for the book and you, you will receive it in May in the U.S. We're only shipping to the U.S., and making deliveries uh, at the Venice Biennale for people who anticipate being there during those seven months. They can pick it up and take it with them on the way home. Faisal Saleh, we wish you the best of luck and, and thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I hope to see as many people as possible uh, at the Venice Biennale. And also, uh, we are still hopeful to... Uh, to do some fundraising and we would appreciate uh, people making donations to our effort. Uh, the budget for this is very high, as you can imagine, and uh, every, every bit of help uh, would be most appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's the voice in the face of uh, Faisal Salah. He's the Salah. founder. Of Salah. He's the uh, founder of the Palestine Museum. He scored this major coup as being part of the Biennale, the 59th Biennale in Venezia being, I mean, it's its something to really celebrate and be uh, proud of, Jamal. I mean, this is, uh, according to his description, this is like making it to, to the Oscars. This is the biggest event. For art. For art. For art. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it is. It's beyond the Oscars. The, Biennale, the, the Venice Biennale, Jamal, is where the, it's the major art event in the world. Well, it's also a major achievement aside from having all these different Palestinian artists just making it is sadly up till today, uh, Italy does not recognize Palestine as a state. No, it so, doesn't. So, so doesn't. So that's why it had to be uh, done in a, in, a, in a very smart way. It's part of a collateral event. Uh, and to have this many artists and different genres, genre represented, and uh, I wish you and I are in Italy. Hopefully, we will be in Italy. But it's going to be there for the next seven months. It Inshallah, runs, it runs through November. So if you yeah, I would love to see it to go but there. You we'll, can see we'll, it in person. We'll, we'll get the link and we'll post it tomorrow you know, because yeah, we'll be able to watch it. You know, virtually too. And there is, yeah, there is also a book, you know, so if people can go to the Palestine Museum, you know, just Google that, the Palestine Museum in Woodbridge, Connecticut. They have, uh, now they're taking pre-orders for the book with uh, publishing with the different pieces of art that's going to be there and all information about about the in event. Well, uh, another great show, Jamal. We had a lot to talk about today. We're going to always have a lot to talk about. And uh, we want to thank our listeners and viewers for joining us again today. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest episodes. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.